is Parenting Celebration Podcast. I'm Trina Green-Brown. I'm here with Ambria Meadows-Fernandez, who is an incredible writer who has recently had a couple of posts that are really relevant to our podcast on spoiling Black babies. Welcome to the podcast, Ambria. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So I feel like there's so much because you've written something that is called to my heart and the hearts of many others. Your piece has been shared and reshared and commented on. And the title of the piece, for folks who don't know, is After Charlottesville, We Need to Start Spoiling Our Black Children. But before we get into all of that, I just want to check in and like let folks know a little bit about who you are, your parenting identity. Let's learn more about Ambria. Well, as far as my parenting identity goes, I have one son that I call a chub. So I have a one and a half year old <laughs> chub and I'm I've been like I said I've been on this ro- this roller coaster ride of parenting for about a year and a half and I'm it's really interesting to kind of see how life works and how all of these things are changing but I'm loving every minute of it. Oh, a chub. That's a cute name. Um so yeah, like how is it? I know you're a writer. I know you do things independently. So how has it been um, as an independent writer, content writer? Tell us a little bit more about your writing, how long you've been doing it. And then we'd love to hear like, how is that shifting and changing or growing or slowing down or picking up as you're also mm-hmm. entering like parent- parenthood? Well, one thing that's unique for me is that my chub was actually my motivation for becoming a writer. Um, as I know that you're likely aware that many parents, you find yourself at the intersection of motherhood and productivity, and it's really hard to find a job outside of the home, particularly where I found myself as a breastfeeding mother, that is willing to accommodate both that, those early moments of being there for your child and the needs of a nursing mother. So um, <laughs> I've always known that I hadn't fit well into the traditional framework of employment. It just drives me nuts. So I made the decision one day to leave the job that I was working, which was, it was, I was supposed to be a caseworker. So I was doing more accounting work. And um, I actually, I was a psychology major in college. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take personality quiz and I'm going to see what my skills are. And then I looked and it said writing was one of them. Although I had never written in a professional capacity, I was like, okay, I love writing. I'm gonna give this, gonna give this a go. And I've been writing. I think I made a year last week, and it's just been a wrap ever since. Wow, I didn't know that. So you started writing because the working conditions really didn't support being a mom, being a breastfeeding and nursing mom. I I totally feel like I can relate to that, and I know many other folks who are in the early stages of like nursing their children, like having to make those difficult choices of working and paying bills and actually spending time with children. There's also like a piece of identity that comes along with like being a a working woman or career woman or parent. And so like, unfortunately it's still a choice that many people have to make. So like, how can we create more space for moms to like have the life of both and of like being able to work and also nurture and care and nurture children. So And I think the other piece that relates for me is just, like, how children can motivate us to, to like, look inward and find, like, the best pieces of ourselves that we didn't even know are there. 
Um, yes, yes, yes. He was the reason that I, I was, um, at the time, my husband and I were doing opposing shifts, and I just got tired of leaving my son home and having to go to work without him. And I was, now I will say I was fortunate enough that for the very early, early stages when he wasn't mobile, they would allow me to bring my son into work with me. But of course, you know, as they get more mobile and they get more vocal, it became a problem that I had to stop frequently. And it's like, okay, I understand I'm here for this job, but you kind of hired me under the pretense that my son would be with me. So it was, we had to make some moves and I think it was the best move I ever had to make. <laughs> and I'm glad that you had that opportunity and the privilege to like make that choice and to make that move and want to admire your former employer for like having the space to bring your child in in the beginning, but then how to continue to evolve those policies so that they actually work for families is the question. Like how do we actually make them work and not just on paper? That's, that's, a, I think that's a question that institutions really have to struggle with. And I think that the people who should be at the tables making those making those decisions about what is the policy for family and children should be folks that have families and children. <laughs> yep, um, exactly. <laughs> and from various demographics, because, you know, what it's like, for example, my family with my husband being in the military, I'm in a privileged position. While I was able to make the decision to say, okay, well, I can step away from this job and work on another income building opportunity. I know a lot of mothers aren't in that position. And, you know, when we do have those women who are having those discussions with the boards, we have to make sure that various demographics of parents, mothers, fathers, same-sex parents, like all of these other things, they need to be present because everyone's experiences are different. Yes, and everyone's needs are different. And we have yes. to center those who are at the intersections of multiple multiple mm -hmm. institutions and systems of oppression, right? Um, we need to have everybody at the table and really center the lives of the most impacted. Um, yes. You want to talk to us a little bit about what you've been writing about? I know that the pieces that I've seen are really about your identity as a parent, um, mm -hmm. or do you write about other pieces as well? Generally, the way the short way I describe it to people is that I write about the experience of race and parenting at the intersection of gender and things of that nature because, you know, I have as I'm a parent, which is, you know, an interesting category. I'm also a black woman, another category. And then, well, that's a double category, but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm within two classifications at once on that one. And so the other works that, I, while I would say a considerable amount of my work does center around parenting at some, in some level. Um, oftentimes the emphasis is different. Like for example, with the article on, you know, spoiling my son, it focused on parenting styles and methods of love and how to interact with my son, whereas I have other pieces that I've done in the past, like I have one that was for New York Mag, and that piece talked more so about racial trauma, and it talks about how that bleeds into aspects of parenting and so I actually had a recent piece come out with Vice that spoke to the parents of um, police brutality victims and of course these women were uh, you know black mothers are overrepresented in that group <clears throat> and so that was once again parenting but it was more of the mental health lens and then from time to time I also do a little bit of the physical health that parents deal with so pregnancy, breastfeeding, as you, today is the first, but I know yesterday was the last day of Black Breastfeeding Week. So I had a few pieces come out 
that discuss my experiences, um, you know, dealing with the historical concept of black breastfeeding. You know, that's a whole can of worms. So I really talk about, I would say the vast majority of my pieces are about parenting, but there's often multiple facets and different angles of it. That piece and the piece you wrote about uh, Charlottesville, I feel like the the underpinning of the reason why I even started this podcast and started this mm-hmm. project called Parenting for Liberation is because I realized that I was parenting from fear. Yep. I realized that I was just so afraid as my son like got older and he's only eight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he's not even like a teenage years, but you know, while he was four and five, you know, you I, I saw these little brown boys that look like him in a couple years start to flash on the television from Tamir Rice, mm-hmm. Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, right? And all of these little babies mm-hmm. in my mind, I saw them as like, that could be my son in two more years. Like he's kind of tall, you know, and we live in this, I would say like a middle-class neighborhood. So he stands out, right? Like we don't live mm-hmm. in a community, but we live in a community that like, I could imagine that someone says like, oh, this little boy looks suspicious, right? He doesn't belong here potentially. And so I started to parent from fear and, and that fear became the type of parenting style that was about tough love and not about the kind of love that I really want to foster. It wasn't about liberation. And so I feel like those pieces that you've written, um, although I haven't read the one in, in New York Mag, in written in them is like the historical trauma piece that kind of gets missed, right? I, I just started to think that there was something wrong with me and I was just hearing from fear because of what I was seeing on the news but also know that like this is historical this is this is like in my cellular memory and DNA from like generations and generations of like trying to keep black babies safe from violence it's interesting that you would mention you know y'all living in not quite a gated community but still a fairly safe place and still being concerned because one of the things that I've kind of realized from my short time being a parent and the research that I've been doing is that as a black parent, there isn't really a safe place to parent. For example, if you grow up in a place where there's mass violence, like inner city areas, then you know you're worried for your child's physical safety. But if you move out of that area, then you become hyper visible because you're one black dot on a white board and you're still in danger. And it's it's just interesting that as a black parent, like there is no place for us to safely raise our kids. Either we are trying not to be victims or we're trying not to be perceived as threats. Right. And I had oh, I had all this like guilt and shame about the choices, right? Because it's like choosing between a rock and a hard place. Really there is no better choice, right? And so mm-hmm. I grew up in I grew up in South Central LA. My mom, my family is from Compton. We represent Compton and Washington put it on the map. Like when in when that movie straight out of Compton came out, they were so lit, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, that is my, that's my family, that's my history. And <laughs> then I was raising my son in South LA because I was really doing work there um, and really invested in community shifts and all of that. And <clears throat> it wasn't, and like, I think we moved out of South LA when he got to like two or three when it was time to go to school, like kindergarten, preschool, kindergarten. And also, like, violence happened, like, literally to, like a block away from our house, right? We couldn't go to the park because it was gang infested or drug infested. And so it was just like, I was like in the community doing the work to shift that. And then I like, I had this struggling, like horrible choice that I felt like I had to make. Um, 
and choice that made me feel like I wasn't living on values and that I wasn't aligned and and I was talking mm-hmm. to other mothers and and like some would like affirmed my choice to like shift and move and others I don't know if they didn't affirm or validate they validated and, and they validated like the choice um, not mm-hmm. the decision but that, that that there was a hard choice and so yeah I felt like <clears throat> Like, I was being a sellout, right? But for my baby, and I was like, well, why is my baby better and more important than these other kids that I'm working with? But it's just, like, a horrible choice. And in the end, when I did choose to move to a different environment, like, I wasn't, it wasn't necessarily better in the sense that, yeah. like, it's just a new type of struggle. Like, the struggle is just mm-hmm. shifting, right? Um, and so to hear you say there is no safe place to raise a child, and at the same time, trying to parent for liberation, like how can our homes be places of safety and liberation and love because the world outside may not offer that to our children. So how can we offer it? Um, mm-hmm. And thinking about the historical piece, too, that you named around, like, what have we learned about how to keep our kids safe? So there's so much there. I'm sorry, I've just been rambling, but I would love your reflections <laughs> or what you're holding. Um, you know, I've, I've just kind of like, like I said, I'm new to this. But from the time that it's been, I'm just kind of our goal for our son, oh, to, for full transparency, right now, we live in a very rural area, and it's one of the least, like, populated states in the U.S. We live in Wyoming. So we don't really have to deal with much violence of any form because there's hardly any people. So we don't really have to deal with much socialization either, which is its own issue. But um, we are even though there are very um, low population counts in Wyoming, there is also less than 1% black. <clears throat> so something that I've been kind of working with and going back and forth between myself is that we're often surrounded by other military families, but there aren't a lot of people who understand, you know, that cultural competency piece. So for example, they'll glad, like they had a, there was a, community fair that they had in Cheyenne recently and you know at community fairs they often have like you know the emergency assistance the police the firefighters and all these other things and it's just kind of interesting how you know when your family isn't the face of police brutality targets it's easy for you to walk up and you know shake hands with the police officers and have this um, happy interaction and things like that and of course personally I have no I have no, I have nothing against police officers, but statistically, my son is at a significantly higher rate of having a negative interaction. So one of the ways that I'm trying to combat that is I'm actually speaking with one of my friends, and I plan to join the local council where, you know, they give citizens the opportunity to interact with the police officers, to get familiar with the community, and do things of that nature. And like one of my friends, I have I've been fortunate to find in that small population a few people who really do care about various aspects of social justice. And we just kind of talked, and it's like, you know, this is one of the key ways that you can help combat some of the things. Obviously, I can't do it myself. It doesn't work like that. But on the individual level, I just kind of had to have a, a conversation with myself, and I was like, what is the point of me constantly writing about the threats that we are under as a community and the pressures that we feel if I'm not actively doing things to come up with a solution. Because anyone can complain. Anyone can talk about the issues. 
but for me as an individual, because I believe we all have to take a moment to consider what um, type of contribution is best for us as an individual based off of our own personal experiences, based off of our own um, skills, based off of gifts. For me, it would have it's most helpful for me to interact in that capacity. I'm I'm pretty even tempered. I haven't had any personal negative experiences with police officers, so I don't have to deal with you know a long-standing trauma holding me back from um, kind of helping with this community connection. So I think on the local level, you can do things like that. On the more broad sense, what we have been working out with um, our son is so we're both kind of like, in quotations, awkward black people. So, you know, there's this unspoken (laughs) rule about what black people do and don't do. And we pretty much push all of those boundaries. That's just how we've decided to live our lives because we've decided that our skin is black every day or, you know, more specifically, you know, it's brown, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so we inhabit this body every day. So there is no set of actions or characteristics or behaviors that will, quote unquote, take away my blackness. Like, for example, I've been doing some, um, I've been trying to like get into nature more and I've been trying to go hiking and get some experience with water and messing up all of these other things and getting dirty within the land and you know, historically, we have been told that there are these action-based boxes that determine what blackness is. And I feel that those things have become changed. They have limited our experiences. They have limited our vision. They have limited our growth. And as parents, we refuse to allow those kind of things to hold our son back. So even though he's only one and a half, like he'll wake up at night, his new thing, is he'll start coloring in the bed, he has, he's, once again, he's, I, I don't have a lot of experience with children because my family's been in a baby drought for like 18 years on my uh, mother's side, but <laughs> I've never seen a one and a half year old or someone other than two that has been so captivated by pen and paper. He can sit there and draw with a pen or color with a marker for hours and it'll just keep him busy. And I'm like, wow, like either you're going to be a writer or you're going to be an artist, you're going to be something. But we want to let him know that when in a society that tells us the only um, the only benefit he brings is some type of entertainment, be it rapping, playing sports, or doing something of that nature, that that's not true. Now, if he decides as an individual he wants to participate in those kinds of activities, we will support him. But there's so much world out there for him to experience. So if he wants to be a cowboy because he grew up in Wyoming, that's fine. If he wants to be a swimmer like my brother is, that's fine. Like, he has the world around him, and our goal is to let him know that he doesn't have to fit into anyone else's boxes. Mm, I like hearing that. I encourage that as well. We have to remove the boxes that are already placed on us in society. That's what being liberated means, and and I think, like, I know, I talk about, like, being a liberated parent, which is one particular thing, but I forget that also in the being a liberated parent, that means I have to allow my children to be liberated too. So Mm -hmm. I have to allow them to choose and decide for themselves what they want to be or what they like or how they want to dress. And, you know, like I, I feel like in, like in your article, right. And we can get into that piece around historically, we've been trying to keep our kids in a box because the box felt like the only way to keep them safe. It, it, it wasn't for our own, well, it could be for some folks for their own life, self-interest that I really want my kid to be this particular kind of way. Um, 
But for me, I felt like I was doing things that were like in a box because I thought the box would keep them safe, right? So when Tamir Rice was um, shot down in the park within two minutes for playing with a toy gun, I removed all toys that even symbol looked like of any kind of gun. Although we didn't really even have any because it was like, we're not violent, so we're not going to buy guns. But I remember <laughs> like distinctly like going to an amusement park with my son and, and, and there's these like little pops that like they're not even, they're like, you pull the you pull the lever and like this pop thing comes out or it says bang or it 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 just makes a lot of noise because he likes anything that makes noise, um, <laughs> and I like wouldn't buy it you know and I was like oh it's not safe and he's like well mom it's not real and it's like painted yellow it's just it's like a piece of wood right and he's like mom like what's why like why like why not you know and like I'm trying to explain to this like then probably like six or five year old like why not. Um, and I was just like, okay, I don't want to explain. Let's just like, let's just go, right? And so, yeah. um, it's like I, I'm resisting not putting him in a box, and I know that I've put him in a box at times because of my own fear. And I realized that like putting them in the box is doing exactly what we're trying to counter the world doing, right? So mm-hmm. I'm telling you, you can't do something, or you have to do something a particular way, and so I am policing you in the home. So that when you go out in the world, you know how to deal with the real police. And I feel like many parents still do that, right? Like, we, it's like the both end of teaching our kids, like, yeah, you're liberated, you're free, you're a free black child, you can, you can be anything you want, you can go anywhere you want, the world is yours. And, but here are some ways that you will need to perform in this box when you are around, whether it be law enforcement, or when you're in school, or when you're walking down the street, right? Like, it's really complicated, um, and I think the best thing that I have been able to try is just to, like, remind myself that that's not going to keep them safe yep. and, that, and that that isn't love. Um, and so when your piece came out, it was really helpful to, to me to be a reminder of, like, tough love doesn't even work, so <laughs> throw it out the window, kind of. Um, and so I want to... I want to invite you to talk a little bit about what motivated you to write the piece and, um, and like the kind of response you got that led you to write the second piece. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it was actually a piece idea that I had been sitting on for a couple weeks um, at the time that Charlottesville took place. And when that, when, when, you know, when the incident happened, all of a sudden it was like, okay, now is the perfect time because we're confused like we're we're seeing like of course you know as marginalized individuals we're already aware that we live in a world filled with hate but I think for the world at large it was one of the first times where people who aren't typically affected by those kinds of things I think they kind of got an insight to something that they had you know denied the existence of for quite some time and because my, you know, I'm at home with my son most of the time. And it had just been something I'd been reflecting on for a little while that I have, I don't want to say a weird way of parenting, but you know, within our community, we generally do that authoritarian style of do as I say, not as I do. You need to follow this rigid system of rules. You need to do all of these other things. And I kind of noticed that when I was at home with my son, that I didn't do any of those things. And like, for example, I think one, interestingly enough, I think one of the first things that kind of sparked a 
all of my uh, revolutionary parenting ideas is sad to be fully emotionally present for your child is revolutionary as a black person, but truthfully it is. And um, one of the first things that kind of sent me down that path was deciding to breastfeed. And, you know, within, I don't, I don't know if you made the decision to breastfeed or not, because it is, you know, it is a choice. It's a decision. Yeah. But at the same time, okay. (laughs) I know that there is, um, you know, there aren't a lot of elders in our community that we can speak to about those kind of issues. So when I like made it clear to my family that this is what I was going to do. And at the time I wanted to go for two years. And unfortunately we're at a year and a half and he's kind of losing interest. So I'm having to kind of say, you didn't fail. You didn't fail. He's just done. I'm having to have that conversation with myself now. Um, But that was probably, (laughs) that was probably the catalyst for me that, you know, already I'm simply feeding my child in an affectionate way. And then I was, I don't, I don't think we have the terminology to describe free black parents, you know, with white people or other people, we call them hippies, but I don't think we've ever had any words to describe <laughs> the parenting style. I don't think we have. And, um, so <clears throat> I would baby wear him because, you know, it was easiest to get things done and it was easiest to breastfeed and all of those other things. And people, the resistance that I got from people on both sides of the fence it was just interesting like of course you know you have the eye rolls you're going to get as a black person anyway but then to have been within my own community and hear people say oh you shouldn't breastfeed that's that's gross or oh what are you doing and it was just like wow we have been we have really been taught that to be completely present for our children is wrong so then of course you know then that goes into the oh, don't nurse him for too long, then you'll be spoiling him, don't hold that baby all the time, then he'll be spoiled, and it's like, what do you mean, like, how is being emotionally present for my child spoiling him, like, first off, we would need to, you know, dissect the concept of spoiling, my son's not a a gallon of milk, he's not gonna spoil, he's not gonna separate, and then not be any good anymore, (laughs) and then, of course, if we go with, you know, the, um, the, kind of the definition that they're going to going for with it it's like he won't basically you know the point is he won't be any good anymore and I, I just really had to sit back a lot of times and say how is um how is being emotionally present and giving in to the re- giving into the reasonable because you know of course the, the the point of authoritative parenting is not to be extremely permissive it's not to have zero boundaries but it's just to you know give that balance of love and structure that research has already seen countless shown that in countless times that children um children excel in and I just now I think I was in a once again another privileged position because like I said my degrees in psychology so I did have to spend some time taking child development classes and then I did you know once you get some knowledge it it lets you know where to find more so I think I had a, a with my educational background I had a pretty good foundation before I was even engaged or married to let me know where I wanted to go with <clears throat> with parenting and things of that nature. And I've been fortunate enough that once again, I've been able to stay on somewhat of a narrow path with that. Not that there's anything wrong with, you know, taking life as it goes, but for my life experience, it was kind of traditional. And um, 
I don't know. It was just really interesting. Pretty much the piece, (laughs) to answer your question in a more concise way, the piece was the fruits of growing up with a mom who obviously loved me dearly but never felt comfortable enough to say I love you. And it it was just interesting that, like, everything my mom does, the way she looks, the way she smiles, it, it just reeks love. Like, there's just love everywhere. But because she grew up in an environment where her parents didn't say they loved her, even though they would, you know, they would do their best to show it, but the words were just uncomfortable and didn't feel right on their lips. Like, growing up with that, it just let me know, you know, I love how my mom interacted with me. I love that she was physically present and provided me with the things that she could, even though she was doing it by herself. But I can remember like how weird it felt that my mom just was never comfortable using that terminology. So it was like that. And then it was the experiences of hearing the backlash when I'd made the decision to breastfeed. And then it was watching all of the horrific videos of children being like beaten and mistreated all online. And it was just kind of an accumulation of of years of frustration with parenting styles and just kind of letting people know, you know, I'm not going to let the rest of the world dictate the amount of love I give to my child. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not a slave anymore. I'm claiming it for myself that I can be free, that I can spend time with him, that I can nurse him because I'm not responsible for nursing someone else's child, that I can be present for him because I'm not about to prioritize someone else's baby over mine. And it was just a lot of personal decisions that, of course, came with privilege because of my life situation. But I do think that everyone has the ability to decide for themselves that they're not going to let anyone tell them how to love their kids. Oh, yes. All of that. Oh, my goodness. So much of that resonates and so much of it is like hard to hear reflected back in another black mother's or woman's story around the generational kind of inability to show affection and love. Um, Mm -hmm. That is very, very hard to hear again and to realize that it's not an isolated situation in my family. It's so interesting to see, from my experience, it's so interesting to see my mother and aunts and uncles and all of those folks who didn't ever show affection to their own children, but like will show so much love and affection to their grandchildren. Oh, yeah, I've seen that also. (laughs) And I'm just like, where did they learn it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all of a sudden I'm like wait yeah. you never told your kids you love them but you said you love your grandchild you asked them to give you a hug and a kiss and I was like I cannot yep. even remember when I ever seen you hug your own child so it's just like <laughs> one I don't know if there's something about like grandchildren that crack open the my like the former generation um because because of the introduction with the introduction of grandchildren um and like my generation having children I've seen like our parents start to show more love and affection to the grandchildren and then by way being able to show more affection to us as adults but mm-hmm. now us as adults are kind of like that is so weird like you never hugged yep. me when I was a kid like why are you gonna hug me now this is so awkward yes a little uh, bit jealous too sitting there giving them the side eye <laughs> I don't know if I'm jealous but I'm just like I'm, I feel like there has ne- that has never happened so when my mom reaches for me I'm kind of like what is it like all weirded out and it's so bad because she's like I'm trying and I was like, I mm-hmm. know, but I just don't even know what this is, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I can't even receive it sometimes. Um, and so, you know, she always would say, like, you know, my, my mother never really told us that we that she loved us, but we always knew. 
Yeah. And I was like, I was like, yeah. I was like, you know, you could feel it, you could see it, you could experience it, but it's different when you hear it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you need to hear it. Now I wonder if it's rooted in like slavery because it's like, how can you show love and affection to a child who might be ripped from you or taken from you? And then if you show that you love and care about a child too much, then then they know they have leverage over you. Um, mm-hmm. And will then take the child away from you on purpose. So it's like, is that is that stuck in their memory? And and I, and I think I want to acknowledge that, like my generation, like in my family, not in the world, like generationally. But I feel like I saw an article recently that was like millennial parents, millennial black parents, are shifting the way that we parent, um, which is in turn shifting the way that parents, right, mm-hmm. engage with us. And so I think my mom seeing the way that I care for my kids and love on them um is making her go like oh I guess I should do that to you I guess I should do that yep. with you you know and so like they're learning yep. from us in the way that we're parenting which I think is great and I feel like I have a lot of unlearning to do myself because because like things that I've learned growing up like that I've experienced I feel like I catch myself doing them like growing up I felt like I tried really hard to be perfect right like I tried really hard to do good grades yep. and to do all the things and and I would only get like, well, that's what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I didn't get congratulations, good job. It'll be like, wait, but you didn't do that. It'll be like, I did all this, and you only point out my one flaw or whatever. You know, it was like, yep. it was like critique that whole. You got all A's, but here's a B minus. Uh uh-uh. uh, what's wrong with you? Like that. <laughs> yes, like that. And I'm like, I will catch myself even now with my son, like only pointing out what I want him to do better. And not acknowledging, like, what he's so great at. And I think mm-hmm. it's rooted in my own fear, one, like, my fear that he has to be the best because he's black and he's, like, one of two black kids in his class and he's going to stand out. So he has to try hard and he has to do his best. He has to be five times as good, right? So, like, there's the fear piece that's rooted in my own um, historical trauma around, like, when you're black, you got to work five times as hard. It's rooted in that. And it's also rooted in, like, the parenting that I grew up under, which was critique before praise, because you don't mm-hmm. you don't praise children because then they'll be spoiled, right? And so I catch myself like, oh, dang. And and my son and I have a relationship where he's okay to be like, he's like, I always got to say what I didn't do right. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> you're right. Like, you did, like, you are great. Like, he's like, you're only pointing out the bad stuff. What about the good stuff? And I'm like, you are right. <laughs> Let me point out all the good stuff. Right. And so it's like we have that rapport that we can have that conversation. But if we didn't, like, I probably and I probably still do like crush his little soul every time. <laughs> um, and I like that's how I feel. So. Um, so, yeah, I said a lot, but I just would love you. To I've like, noticed that like millennial parents um, for the of course, you know, there are exceptions to everything. So painting with a black brush, whatever. But <clears throat> I've noticed like in general, we it seems like we strive to have more of a peer to peer relationship with our child, our children than any generation before. I think that's kind of like a, a generational like signature or something like that, because, you know, kind of like what you described with your son, I feel like when, as my son ages, I want him to know that he can come to me and he can let me know what he's struggling with and we can try to work it out together as opposed to some of the more traditional parenting methods where it's just like, you know, 
well, you need to fear me. You need to listen to me. And I don't care about the rest of it. Like, you don't have to, what do they say? I'm not supposed to be your friend. I'm your parent. And I mean, I'm not saying that I want to be like sitting on the, at the mall when my son is 16 and be like, oh, you see that girl? Yeah. What do you think? Like, obviously, I would never take it that far. <laughs> but <laughs> I do want him to like be able, I do want to try to um, kind of let him know, like as he develops and his life happens, that our goal and our purpose as parents is, you know, to kind of be beacons of light not to just be like whips on their back or something like that. Cause, and then, you know, I'm sure you may, or it sounds like you may or may not have experienced this as well. You know, like when you get older, it's like you go to school or you're like in your mid to late twenties or whatever. And then all of a sudden that relationship you have with your parents change because, you know, you're older, you're more so on your own and you're getting things done. You don't see them. I mean, they're still like elders, but you don't see them as that traditional authority figure. And my goal is to kind of get that relationship that I have with my mom now that I'm older, where it's like, I can't wait to tell my mom, oh, I don't need a best friend. I have my mom. Like, I would like to get that to happen earlier in life. You shouldn't have to spend the first 20, 23 years of your life like, oh, my parents get on my nerves. I don't want to be around them. And then all of a sudden, when you're distant from them, like me, where you're thousands of miles away, all of a sudden you appreciate them and you're like, hmm, she is pretty funny. She does dance kind of cool. Like <laughs> you want to have that relationship earlier rather than later. And that's what, once again, my son's only a year and a half, so I can do hopes all day. But I feel like we're setting a, a pretty good framework to let him know that, um, to let him know that our goal is to, I mean, we, we want to provide him with structure but our purpose is not to, you know, suck the joy out of life. And something that I'm kind of dealing with now is because I have made the decision that I, I don't want my son to be physically disciplined. And my husband's still kind of on the fence about it. But I do, you know, that's a that's a discussion that has to, there's <laughs> between, you know, there are two different, we're coming from two different families of origin. We have two different perspectives. And that's something that we'll have to like discuss and work out as time goes on. But he doesn't, it's funny, like, he was the person who was, like, he wasn't, like, he's like, okay, well, if Salem does something, I'm going to pop him. Obviously, he's one and a half. No one's getting belts or anything like that. But he's the least likely to punish Salem anyway, so I don't think it's going to be a problem. I'm always the one who has to do any of the no, stop it, all of this other stuff. But anyway, so we're, like, at this crossroads <clears throat> that a lot of parents find themselves at where it's like, okay, well, my whole life, if I did something wrong, I got smacked upside the head or I got a belt on my butt. Like, what do I do now? Like, you really have to be creative and you have to, like, sit back and it's like, okay, well, what am I going to do when he acts up? And to be, like, completely transparent, we haven't gotten there yet. He's heading into his terrible twos and he's doing really interesting things. And sometimes I feel horrible because he'll do something and I'll just bust out laughing. And it's like, no. You're supposed to be not doing, like, for example, I'm trying to think of something. Oh, I have one. So, you know, I told you that he likes to draw. Well, mm -hmm. last week, <laughs> while he, I went to, I fell asleep while he was coloring in his book, and he was just being all sweet with his little halo on. Well, while he, while I was sleeping, his um, horns must have come out because I wake up in the morning, he's colored all over the bed with markers. He's colored all over my arms. He colored, um, he gave me a tattoo sleeve. He gave himself a matching tattoo sleeve, so I know he likes me. And then he, like, scribbled on the back of my ear, and I woke up, and my mom was like, 
why are you in Salem's faces covered in marker? And I was like, what are you talking about? Because it was in places I couldn't see. And then she's like, go look at your face. And I'm like, oh, okay, well. And I mean, <laughs> for some parents, like, that would have been a disciplined moment. But, like, for me, like, I couldn't do anything but laugh. It's like, well, I was the dummy that went to sleep with a one-year-one-and-a-half-year-old with markers in the bed. And I guess I'm just really learning that, you know, every time your child does something wrong, you don't have to punish them. Like, sometimes you really can just laugh about it because it may not have been what you expected. But those are going to be great memories one day. I kept my sleeve for a few days. I'm sad it's gone. <laughs> it was nice. <laughs> now that is a great example. And, um, and yeah, I can imagine some parents, like, saying, like, no, you don't do that. And, you know, I think I think the piece of that story that is um, coming out to me is, is the piece around um, – like the wrestle around like discipline, physical discipline or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And when I was working on that piece that, you know, you did the, you did the first piece around spoiling black children. And then you like had a conversations with moms and invited me into that conversation. And I struggled with that. I'm like, I, I wondered, I was like, am I being a fraud? Like by saying that I'm trying to discard tough love, because I feel like I still do things like get really, I'm like, when my son does something and I'm like, come really close. I want you to hear what I'm oh, saying. Yeah. Right. So I bring them really, really close. <laughs> oh yeah. I, like, oh yeah. Do the, I do the like talk when I don't move any of my lips, but the words just come out of my teeth. And he knows that I'm really serious. And yes. I'm like, do you understand? And he's like, yes. And I'm like, okay, go away. Like, right. Like, like. <laughs> yep. I know exactly what talking like, about. And then I was talking to someone about that because I was like, you know, that I thought like that was me like trying to not use physical discipline, right? Like I'm just going to make you come really close so you can hear me and know that I'm serious when I'm saying this. And okay, now I want you to go because I need to go breathe and I need you to go breathe because this like, you know, I'm at a point right now. And, and someone was um identify for me like, oh, you're bringing him close. And like, is that like in terms of like intimidation or like, threatening physical violence against him like making him like no like you're really close to me I could really do something but I'm not so go, but turn around and go like go take a yeah. break and I was like oh is that a physical threat like is that intimidating him I was like let me talk to him about that right mm-hmm. and so I you know I had to talk with him and I'm you know because I'm like I just put this out there in the world saying that like I'm trying something different and then I'm like oh if what I'm trying different is still and I need to not be fraudulent I was like I'm an imposter I'm a fraud I need to tell her to pull that down you know like I was so you know because I feel like I feel like I'm always learning and always trying and um, I don't think I always get it right and I don't think I'm perfect for it at all and and yeah so like I'm I feel like I'm my number one critic and I always like check in with the kids like that like to correct me like and he he has no problem letting me know He's like, you're not so bad anymore. Uh, <laughs> I was like, if someone calls you and asks you, how is mom in terms of her discipline now? Because I will say, like, I did used to. I did, like, have this phase of, like, talking him. And I won't say, like, regularly, but I did. And then I would be feeling so guilty. And then I would check in with yep, him. And I'm me. like, okay, this is not right. And this is, like, totally not aligned with my values. And I think in the piece I wrote, like, there was a lot of pressure, right? Like, I don't know if it was the terrible twos, the terrible threes, the, the I don't know what word, the effed up fours. 
<laughs> all of those stages. Um, and there was this point where I was like crying all the time about like, he's not respecting me. He doesn't love me. He like, there's all this. And I'll just name underneath all of that. There was also a separation from his father. And so like within that separation, mm-hmm. like came all these behaviors. Um, that were aggressive towards me as his mother and so like but, you know I would get to like you need to show him who's in charge you need to show him you're the boss like you know his father isn't there anymore in the home so like you got to lay down the law like it was like all these like I was like getting all these messages about like he was behaving that way and acting out because I wasn't tough mm-hmm. enough on him so I started and you know tougher and I'm like, I actually realized after the fact, like, oh, he's acting out like this because because of the separation, not because of me, right? Like, <laughs> like he's going through a time right now um, where he's trying to make sense of, like, this shift in his life. And so, but I internalized all of it, right? Because it was my choice yep. to, like, separate. It was my choice. I made this happen. So now I'm dealing with this. So, like, I was just a mess and, like, receiving all this, like, information from my elders and folks to be like you need to do these things so that he will respect you and listen to you and then I started doing it and felt like crap and like it got to like I want to like raise I want to like open my arms to hug my son and not have him be like worried that he's in trouble that he did something right and so Mm -hmm. it's been like a long it's like been years of trying to like undo the trauma that that caused and like over a few months of like trying out that strategy that didn't work like, to unlearn that and to rebuild love and connection with my son has been, like, a journey. And you know what's interesting, because, like I said, I'm I'm not, obviously, I do think we need to take the time to acknowledge that. And I think being a mother has taught me that, or it has taught me to be a lot less critical of the things my mother did. Because, like, it's funny, like, it's, I know for myself, I had this imaginative image that when you became a parent all of a sudden you were like inhuman you knew everything you had it all together and now that I am a parent it's like okay I still think some of the dumb stuff I thought before oh really I still make silly decisions I'm still sneaking to McDonald's to buy a two dollar french fry and hiding it in the car so my husband doesn't know that I'm eating french fries even though I'm supposed to be eating healthy like it's it's you don't all of a sudden end up to be this perfect person that's one thing I'm learning as I'm trying to keep striving to be a better parent which I think is the point to always keep striving because we'll never be there but to just do what you can but something else I was having a conversation with a friend a couple days ago and I feel that it's really easy for once again I'm Um, having, you know, gotten to go to school, being in the situation that I'm in, it's really easy for my, in my privileged position to get on a soapbox and tell people, you should be doing this with your kids, and you should be doing that with your kids, and how can you think this is okay, and what's wrong with you? Why are you holding on to this trauma? But realistically, we have to think about where certain people are in their lives, and so she was saying that she, she'll still, like, spank her kids or whatever, obviously, the whole there's the whole debate about where's the line and all those other things but something that I had to take a step back and realize myself is that it's easy for me to make time to critically think about the long-standing impacts that things do to my child but had I been in her position where I'm a single mother trying to figure out where I'm gonna get a different job like some 
I'm, I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Yes, being a black woman comes with stressors, but sometimes you are so preoccupied trying to provide for your children that you don't have the time to think critically about all these nuances that the rest of us are discussing, like bottle feeding versus breastfeeding and spanking versus not spanking, all these other things, because they're just trying to make sure that their children have roofs over their heads. And like, it, it was really like a, a moment of clarity for me. Like, so I just kind of let people know, like when I have those discussions, although I might like pop Salem on the butt or something, I am striving towards a parenting style that doesn't involve any physical discipline. But at the same time, I have to acknowledge the fact that everyone is not in a position to contemplate things today. Like some people have, I'm not trying to say that I don't have life problems because I do, everyone does. But some people, for some people, the effects of systemic injustice have bothered them so much that they don't have time to think about these things. And thanking versus not thanking is the last thing that they're going to have time to think about because, you know, they've had to use a substantial amount of their cognitive resources to even make it through the day, let alone sit down and get on the computer and Google alternative discipline methods or sit down and try to think long before you act. And, of course, in a perfect world, we can have these discussions and say parents shouldn't discipline their kids, parents shouldn't this, parents shouldn't, or excuse me, parents shouldn't use physical discipline with their children. But at the same time, we know the world we live in isn't perfect. And we also know that a lot of people are dealing with a lot of unresolved trauma. And with that unresolved trauma comes, you know, imperfection. Like, <laughs> so I've just really had to kind of take, it, take myself a step down and say, you know, I have this parenting model that I strive for myself and for my child. But I have to acknowledge that had it not been for some level of privilege of getting out of like certain communities that like I grew up in, I wouldn't have been able to do all of these things. So who would I be to talk down on that parent who's still whooping their kid as opposed to just kind of giving them kind of a discussion and be like, hey, so oh, what do you do? Oh, why do you do that? Oh, and just kind of, you know, obviously there are some people that are going to be annoyed and they're not going to want to have those discussions, but just kind of getting the conversation going. Because I think that's the biggest problem in the Black community is we stray from a lot of the important conversations that tell us why we're doing what we do. Yeah, no, I hear you on that. And that's a part of my next phase of parenting for liberation is getting to the folks who live in, in a like continuous crisis and trauma state to like really think about mm-hmm. what does liberated parenting look like even for them, right? Like what are mm-hmm. some liberated parenting strategies that actually could work, that would work for them without critique or judgment of the way that they parent because they're parenting under extenuating circumstances right and so I was talking to someone who was saying like if my child is in danger in literal danger and threat like I might have to pop them or like to get their attention and make them stop well I think there are people who feel like every day they're living in that type of physical omnipresent danger or threat right and so that's those are the parents that I want to engage with because mm-hmm. I know meeting people where like, they're at I don't want it to be like this is a privileged conversation because that's what it could mm-hmm. be I'm like oh I've talked to people who are thinking about this, right? I've been talking to people who are experiencing this, who are thinking about this, who are trying this way. And like, I need to get to my people, right? Like when I say my people, I'm talking about like my cousins, my aunties, my my family, who I'm like, who rep Compton in the hood and all that. (laughs) Like I need to be in community with them too, right? And so I feel like these questions and conversations don't need to stop 
here and like they need to be had everywhere with all black mm-hmm. parents because we all need to be raising our, our all of our children need to be liberated and free and it might look different because of the conditions and the circumstances that folks are living in and like one example that comes to mind was in in baltimore do you remember the the mom um the young yes. boy who Where like, she went to protest and, we would say. and she snatched him <laughs> she snatched him up and was like yep. i told you not to be out here in these streets and it was like so much, you know, it was like so much controversy. There was like praise of her. Like that's what, mm-hmm. like I think some like news station or Good Morning America or something like praised her as like the mother of the year, right? Like celebrated yep, her. I saw it. Like she got her kid in line, right? And like, mm-hmm. and then like, and then the police chief of all people of Baltimore who hadn't done anything in the city to help um, the conditions was like, if most, if all parents parented that way, then we would have less of the riots and the crimes or some crap like that. And I'm like, no, we mm-hmm. don't need more parents to be parenting in that way so that their kids are stuck in a box and can't protest and use their voice so that it's easier yep. for you as law enforcement to keep us in jail or keep us in boxes, right? And the, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm not trying to critique that mother for doing what she felt was necessary to keep her kids safe. Yep. And so it's just like the, it's like the, the, the simultaneity of it all, like wanting mm-hmm. to like get to parents who feel like, I don't know what I would have done in that circumstance. Like, yeah, I might be a liberated parent, but like, snatch Girl, I, I, would snatch be, <laughs> I would snatch him up. I would snatch him up. I would. Or, or might I be with him at the protest, right? Like, might I have, because right, I've taken my son to protest. We've gone to marches. So, like, might I have been with him? Like, let's go down here together and let's stand up, like, against law enforcement on behalf of your friends who've been harassed, right? Like, might I have been there? So, I don't know what position I would have been in. Um, and I don't want to critique or judge, and I want to like, you know, like let's, let's unpack it because there is no one way or right Excuse way. Excuse the chub in the background. Yes, my I chub know. is in the same place. So yeah, he's no, he's doing his one and a half girl stuff. <laughs> That's all good. So yeah, I just feel like I feel like this it could be since that's a privileged conversation and I want to take it. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like what you said, because I've been, I mean, once again, Salem's only one and a half, but he's been to two or three marches in his time. And um, I feel like the issue, once again, this is just my opinion. Everyone's going to have different ones. But like the issue within that situation was not where he was. It was the method he was doing what he was doing. So on his actions, I can understand why he got snatched up. But kind of like you alluded to, I think that it would have been a lot more powerful if we had that open dialogue within the community that he could have attended with his mother. Then they could have discussed what was going on and they could have participated in that freedom together. And then, of course, you know, we're going to get into this conversation about violence versus nonviolence and all of this other. Should we continue to bow down and resist or should we stand up? And like, obviously, that's a whole nother conversation. We're just we don't even have time for it. But (laughs) It's, I think that everything needs to start with a conversation. Like, what is your parenting style? I think we should all assess ourselves and say, how have I been parenting? Am I parenting out of fear or am I parenting out of, like, you know, experience or, like, what knowledge, like, whatever you're doing it for, assess it and think if there's ways that you can improve it. Improve it. And I think that, you know, like you said, to keep the privilege out, just I think any progress is progress. Even if it's small in- instrumental uh, steps, like, for example, let's say that there's someone, it's like, oh, well, they used to, like, beat their kid or something with a belt. And if they just go to a tap on the butt, sure, there are going to be people who are like, oh, you 
shouldn't be beating your kids. That's horrible. Violence is violence. But for the person who is making the shift from a small hand butt talk to an extension court beating, like that's that's a world of change for them. And I think that, you know, we should just try to meet people where they are. I agree. I really want to say first, I appreciate you for the work that you're doing and for inviting me in and for having this conversation. I feel affirmed, not that I'm doing everything right, but that I'm on the right path of trying to figure it out and that there is no perfection um, and that it's a lifelong journey, like parenting is a like, lifelong journey, and that the shift from fear-based parenting to liberated parenting is not like a pivot where you just kind of turn and then you're in a new direction. It's like a, yeah, it's like the long arc <laughs> that Dr. King mm-hmm. talked about, the long arc towards justice. And this is like mm-hmm. the long arc towards liberated parenting. So I want to say one, appreciate you for coming on, for inviting me into, into writing with you. Yeah. I want to invite you to say any closing remarks if you want, where people, where people can find you. I am extremely grateful for the opportunity to have been able to speak with you on this podcast. I always um, like the opportunity to discuss with people, whether it be like-minded or non-like-minded. I think they all have their benefits. Um, Really, keep as far as looking for me, I will just be on the interwebs. I have a Facebook writers page if anyone's interested in checking it out. And that's Facebook slash One Cool Knitter. Don't ask. I used to knit, and I used to think it was cool to say stuff like that. But <laughs> that um, <laughs> that's that. I told you I'm I'm an awkward black girl, so that's that's my thing. But um, love it. Really, love it. I just I just really am grateful for because you know I feel that you're doing work in your capacity as well, and I just hope that we keep this connection going, and that if anyone needs me they can google my name and hopefully i'll talk to some people soon awesome and i will post links to your pieces that you shared in the in the blog post that will accompany this podcast all right thank you so much for taking the time have a great weekend with you and your chubs and your family thanks for talking with us bye